Sleepy Hollow is a place like no other. A place where the forces of good and evil collide for the fate of the world. Prophecies foretold witnesses destined to protect us all. But will they prevail? Armed with keen insights and the ability to see into dark realms. Well, maybe. Barb and Steve help decipher The Witness Prophecies, a fan podcast dedicated to Sleepy Hollow on Fox. Welcome back, Sleepyheads. This is episode 26 of The Witness Prophecies. I'm Steve, and is it February 5th yet? <laughs> Darn. Maybe if you've got a different calendar, it might work, Steve. Yeah, yes. I'm Barb, and I hope everyone had a great holiday. And Steve and I are glad to be back for this special episode of Witness Prophecies. And today, we're going to be discussing the book Sleepy Hollow, Creating Heroes, Demons, and Monsters, which was written by Tara Bennett and Paul Terry. It was published by Titan Books on November 20th, 2015. So, Steve, did you find this book in your Christmas stocking? Oh, I certainly did. Oh, that's wonderful. Yes, my wife knows me all too well. (laughs) Oh, that is so sweet. I bought my own before Christmas, so at least we've both had a fair amount of time to look through it and really enjoy it. And I hope that everyone is going to enjoy our discussion on this book tonight. I hope so as well, and I know if they pick up the book, they will enjoy it. So why don't we start off with some news, Steve? I mean, it's been almost two months since we've spoken. I know. And it doesn't feel like it. (laughs) All right. Well, let's pick up where we left off with rating news. Episode 7, The Art of War, Live Plus 7, tied for 17th in adults' 18 to 49 percentage increase going from a 0.9 to a 1.6 for an increase of 78%, and was 17th in viewer percentage increase, going from a 3.0 to 4.7 for a 58% increase. Nice. And episode 8, Novus Orta Seclorum, our live plus 7. We were 18th in adults, 18 to 49 percentage increase, going from a 0.8 to a 1.4 for a 75% increase. And we were tied for 9th in viewer percentage increase, going from 2.8 to 4.5 million for a 62% increase. That's nice. And as I recall, before we broke, Fox had said that they were going to change the way that they gave the percentage of viewers, the number of viewers, etc., that they weren't going to be giving any early results anymore. So I guess right. we're going to see this throughout the spring as we continue forward once the, the winter premiere starts on February the 5th. Yes, I, we'll still probably see numbers, but they won't be coming from Fox. Fox won't put out any numbers until the Live Plus 7s come out. And I think that's probably... The wisest thing to do with people's schedules and viewing habits changes, the Live Plus 7 is probably the most important number. And right now, Sleepy Hollow is averaging between four and a half and five million viewers. So the old rating system has gone the way of the dinosaur. (laughs) Yes, it has. And hopefully the rest of the networks will figure that out soon. I hope so. Is Fox ready to say goodbye to two of its shows? 
while the network announced renewals for Scream Queens and Empire at the 2016 Winter TCA Press Tour on Friday, bosses Dana Walden and Gary Newman said they were not ready to make any announcements about two of its other popular shows, Bones and Sleepy Hollow. We're really happy with Sleepy this season. The creative is in good shape, Walden said of Sleepy Hollow, which is currently in its third season. It's a very difficult show to keep reinventing where the story engine is. It's not a show we're prepared to pick up today, but we like what we're seeing. Well, that certainly is positive. Yeah, there's been a lot of negative, quote-unquote, press or discussion on social media about it moving to Friday this spring. Mm. So at least to see these types of comments in the press, and of course, they have to be politically correct, but... They would say nothing at all, in my opinion, if they were very negative on it, as opposed to saying something positive. Exactly. And I think they're actually rooting for the show to continue. And I don't see why it won't, especially seeing that they're going to measure the live plus seven more than anything else. Yes. I don't expect any drop, regardless of what day they decide to show the episode, the live plus seven numbers are going to be there. There's too many people that enjoy the show. I agree. And especially with the opportunity to stream it, to tape it. I watch so many shows now on streaming or something that I've, I hate to say tape, that makes me sound so old, Um, (laughs) or something else that's been recorded in some other way. Right. On the old DVR. Thank you for that. I'm the same way. I very rarely get to watch anything live. Sometimes I don't even get to watch the DVR in seven days. Sometimes it takes me months. I I just finished Dark Matter this week, so. (laughs) (laughs) Well, shall we talk about our book? Yes, let's do. Well, why don't we talk first about the authors? This is a very special book that they've put together, and our two authors are Tara Bennett and Paul Terry. This is not the first time they've collaborated on a project together. But let me tell you a little bit about Tara, and this is from her website, TaraBennett.com. Now, she is the New York Times best-selling author or co-author of several movie and TV companion books, including Showrunners, The Art of Running a TV Show, Sons of Anarchy, The Official Collector's Edition, Fringe, September's Notebook, The Lost Encyclopedia, The Art of 300, The Art of Epic, The Art of Terminator Salvation, and 24, The Official Companion Guide, Seasons 1 through 6. And now, of course... She's going to add this Sleepy Hollow book to that very impressive list. She is a big fan of TV like we are, and I've had several interactions with both Tara and Paul on Twitter. I follow both of them. They're just the best people. Their projects are fantastic, and I know you're going to tell us a little bit about Paul and his background, but I will say that I have both. The Lost Encyclopedia and Fringe, September's Notebook. And they are, they're not books. These are pieces of art. Yes. They're they're beautiful. They also expand your knowledge, um, really make you think even more about the shows. Both have ended, but both are out there where you can see them in all types of different media formats. So it's really delightful to have these as part of my permanent library. And I think that there are so many other people who have these books who feel exactly the same way. Oh, indeed. The September's Notebook is definitely one of my uh, prized possessions. It is. It's beautiful. Just beautiful. It only came without the tulip, so I had to print off a copy of the tulip and put it in the book. 
course, mine's autographed by John Noble, so that kind of helps <laughs> oh. add to it. <laughs> oh, make me jealous. Thank you ever so much. Okay, so I was not thinking ahead, and I didn't take my book to Dragon Con last year to get it oh. autographed. Big, huge mistake on my part. However, one of the other folks that we were there with, Bonita, uh, known as Yogabon, she had yes. her book. She got it autographed. And I'm thinking she's so much smarter than all the rest of us. Oh, no. <laughs> what are you going to say? Oh, well. Oh. Maybe they'll come another opportunity and I'll actually put my thinking cap on. Tell us about Paul. All right. Paul Terry is an IMA-nominated musical artist, best-selling author, and producer. He has written and edited official publications for leading brands such as Bad Robot and their TV shows Lost and Fringe, Lego, DreamWorks, Star Wars, The Simpsons, and Futurama. He co-authored with frequent collaborator Tara Bennett, the official Lost Encyclopedia, of course, Fringe September's Notebook, which was an Amazon Book of the Year in 2013, and of course... Sleepy Hollow, Creating Heroes, Demons, and Monsters, and The Blacklist, Elizabeth Keene's Dossier, which is due out February of 2016 for you blacklisters. So maybe we should let Troy and Aaron know about that since they have the Blacklist Exposed podcast, which has a great following. I Actually, I'm sure they're all already all over this news and they're just waiting for it to come out so they can review it on their podcast. They're one of our companion podcasts at Golden Spiral Media. So if you're a Blacklist fan, go over and check out the Blacklist Exposed if you haven't done that already. Yes, they have a great podcast over there. They do. All right, let's talk about the book, Barb. All right, so this book, it's just a wonderful companion to the TV show. It covers the first two seasons of the show. So those are the mostly the characters and the monsters, particularly, that you're going to see it from that period. There are 176 beautifully illustrated pages in the book. Pictures, illustrations, a lot of little tidbits. And what the book does is that it highlights the work that's been done by Len Wiseman, who is the executive producer of Sleepy Hollow, and Corey Castellano, the makeup department head and the, the special makeup effects designer, in creating both the characters of Sleepy Hollow, who are our heroes, as well as the demons and the monsters. And I will say that in the last page of the book, it does list all of the different people who have been involved in the show, or were involved in the show for the first two seasons who are also part of the great team. It's not just two people, obviously, who make the show, but all the other individuals who assist with art, design, costume, everything else. Yeah, and what I found really interesting is how much involvement Lynn actually has. As they start coming up with an idea for a monster, he's sketching, and he'll come up with ideas of how a monster or demon should look, and he'll pass it on to Corey, and then they, they go back and forth with it until they nail it down. And normally you don't see an executive producer getting down into that level of detail about a show. To me, it signals a lot of love for the show. Yes. And it sounds also, too, as if they have a very collaborative effort 
And there was a lot of exchange of ideas. And you could read that throughout the book. In some of the comments that were made about one person might say, well, let's take that idea and expand it. And somebody else says something else. It sounds like they really have a nice, creative working environment with each other and that they respect each other's ideas too, which I think is very important. So in this book, you actually have a nice chance to go behind the scenes and understand how and why the scenes and the characters created, why they did things the way that they did. And half of the book is dedicated to the monsters, and the other half covers our heroes, their associates, some of which may have been both good and bad. We have a few of those. Uh, Just a few. Just a few. Places we've seen in this series, such as the archives, the police station, and there is a fantastic map of... Sleepy Hollow, a sketch rendition of what they believe the town would have looked like in historical or colonial times. Now, the foreword of the book is written by Len Wiseman. And one of the interesting tidbits that came out of this was that he said one of the first things the show creators did was to determine what the headless horseman would look like and that they wanted him to be really cool. And that's a direct quote from the book. And I'll tell you, this really surprised me, Steve, because to me, Abby and Crane are the stars of our modern day Sleepy Hollow. Right. And even though Headless was a star of the actual legend of Sleepy Hollow tale, they started with him and then evolved to the other characters. I found that just really fascinating considering the fact that now we know that Headless is sort of out of the picture in season three and is probably destroyed. At least that's what I think we were led to believe at the very beginning of the season. And yet he was the primary focus when they began drawing characters for the show. They wanted to nail that down before they even thought about anybody else. It wasn't Ichabod first. It wasn't somebody else. They wanted to get Headless's look just right so it would grab people's attention. Yes. And it was brilliant. It was. Because it did. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, indeedy. And uh, I think we're going to talk a little bit more about his description when we talk about the actual characters. But oh, my goodness gracious. Yes. So speaking of the characters. Yeah, there were even more interesting tidbits. The show evolved because Alex Kurtzman was interested in creating a series about witches. And he goes on to let us know that uh, his all-time favorite show was Twin Peaks. And that is a great show. (laughs) Yes. And the writers wanted to keep Ichabod Crane as the protagonist, make him a fish out of water, and Abby would be his guide to help him navigate the modern world. And he really was a fish out of water. When we first saw him, he almost was run over by the truck, barreling down the, the little country road in the middle of the night, and then all the gadgets that we've seen along the way. Absolutely. And she has done quite well, and you have to give her a whole lot of props for her patience. <laughs> <laughs> And for believing him, because quite frankly, and I think you and I have discussed this before, if someone came to me and said, I was born 250 years ago, I'd be calling 911 (laughs) because I would think it was a crazy person. Indeed. Now, probably one of the best things was the writers also drew from the X-Files. They didn't want them to become a Mulder Scully with Abby always saying she didn't believe. So they gave her a demon in her past. You know, and that's a very interesting twist. Yes. Because when I read that, that was one of the last things I expected to see. And then I stopped and I thought about it. And I thought, well, in a way, they sort of 
did begin as a Mulder and a Scully, Scully. Mm-hmm. in a strange way. And they have that platonic relationship and everyone shipping them. Yes. And I think it becomes all the more real to me because I've been rewatching all the nine seasons and two movies of <laughs> X-Files in preparation for the miniseries that they're going to launch on that here on January the 24th. Yes, that Golden Spiral Media also is doing a podcast on called We Still Believe. Yes, Daryl and Chip. If you haven't checked that out, you need to check that out. They're going through the 10 episodes that Chris Carter felt were most that were very meaningful and important to him in the series. And I think they're just wrapping that up. And then they're getting ready to launch then into the brand new episodes. But yes, another great Golden Spiral Media production. But it is true, because in a way, that's exactly what they are in an investigative way in a very, a very different type of setting, but I can see that. Yes, it is very similar to Mulder and Scully, at least for the first couple of episodes. Yes. Now, of course, with Ichabod Crane, they wanted to give him both a scholarly and a heroic look. Now, his beard is historically inaccurate for the period, as it was very rare for men to uh, have facial hair, but helped give Crane the look they wanted. Can we say rock star? (laughs) And they did. Oh, no. Oh, no. Super. Sorry. Super hot Jesus. Oh, right. <laughs> yes, that was Dragon Con. A key costume piece to the li- to link both the old and new worlds, his long coat. I also found pretty interesting was a lot of both his and Abby's costumes were hand-tailored or handmade. Yes. Specifically for them. And you usually don't see that. The boots the crane has, those are made for him. Well, they had to be in a way because they're period pieces. I don't know yeah. that we're going to go down to Goodwill and find an old... <laughs> 1776 pair of boots. Yeah, that might be a little tough. But, but they also made them to be more comfortable on the inside as well. I hope so. They're on their feet all day okay. filming. <laughs> just, um, but you know, it's interesting because if you look at the legends of Sleepy Hollow and Ichabod Crane in that, he was more of a, he was, I mean, he was a scholarly person. He was more, he wasn't heroic. How's that? I, I guess that's the nicest thing I can say. He definitely was not right. a quote unquote heroic person. He certainly would not have embodied the Ichabod Crane that we have on Sleepy Hollow today. No. And I have to say, great improvement. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. So what about Abby? Well, they wanted her to be a modern woman as a strong contrast to Crane. And she might have been a small town cop, but she was on her way to Quantico and bigger things. And so we kind of see that when we first meet her, she's got the strict small town police officer uniform on. But once we see her off the clock, her whole outfit changes and it's very modern, very strong. And you can tell that she's very well in touch with what's going on in the world and where she wants to go. She looks sharp. And smart. Yes. Of course, August Corbin wasn't with us very long, but there are some very interesting pictures in the book that highlight the special effects used to separate his head from his body. Oh, yeah. Okay. So not to gross anyone out, there is one picture in the book. It appears that he's holding his own head. All right. Right. And that's just, I'm sorry, that made my stomach go, eee. (laughs) Great special effects. You've got to get the book just for that picture alone. (laughs) Yes. And we do see some wonderful illustrations of his files. And that's always nice. And 
when they talk about the archives, they make sure they mention Corbin's files are there. And it's interesting. I have participated in auctions when shows have ended while they're, you know, they're trying to get top dollar for props after shows ended. Right. And so I have seen, at least displayed on the auction website, what some of the props might look like. And from the illustrations that they've put in the book, it is clear that they really went the extra mile to put the detail into those props. I mean, they're beautiful. That would be something to see, I'm sure. Yes. Now, with Jenny, they wanted to create someone opposite of her sister. They didn't want them both being the same. And, of course, with what happened to Jenny and Abby and the different paths they took after their traumatic experience, you see it in the costuming. Yes. Abby is very modern. She's moved on. And Jenny is very down to earth. One of the interesting things that they said in the book is how they really wanted them, they really, really wanted to differentiate the two different paths that you can go down after a trauma, how you can allow it to own you or you can own it. Right. And with Jenny ending up in the psychiatric hospital, which is where we first see her in her, that horrible hospital type gown, they're clearly drawing that line. What I find to be very interesting, Steve, is that as the sisters have developed their relationship as they've gotten closer, and as we've gotten into season three and their paths seem to now be aligned for the most part, how much their looks are becoming more congruent with each other. Exactly. Yeah. Jenny is definitely starting to show a little more fashion sense instead of just going all B.A. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and of course, we do get a little bit on Captain Frank. He was basically set up to be the scully of the uh, <laughs> the group at first. <laughs> he wasn't going to believe any of that nonsense because, of course, he was from New York City, and that stuff doesn't happen in the big city. He was the voice of reason, and he was the skeptic. He probably was somewhat going to be the audience, as we said, what? Right. Yeah. The episode when he was trying to get Headless's head out of the uh, lab was... What made him a believer, I'm afraid. (laughs) (laughs) They've got great pictures of him in the book, too. Yes, they do. And they have a little bit of a a description of the um, Rambo pictures that um, were just awesome in season two. They had two full pictures of him being Rambo. Yes. How difficult it was to film it and then add in the the FX to it to... um, make it look just as awesome as it did. (laughs) And I think that's one of the nice things that's woven throughout the book is that they actually tell you what are some of the techniques that they used to make this happen. And obviously they didn't go into the great detail about it that would bore us to tears and, you know, would make our eyes or our head roll backwards, you know, take your pick, depending on what you like on Sleepy Hollow. But it gave you, it, it answered enough of my questions my, on, in my curiosity as to how do you do that? How does right. that work? Um, and they gave you some real good pictures that would accompany those explanations. And, and I think that that made it all the more interesting for me. Mm-hmm. And it gave me much more of, appreci- of an appreciation of how difficult it was for them to do this. And especially when you consider they were doing an episode a week. I mean, you basically have seven days. I mean, you might have a script you know, two, three weeks in advance, whatever the normal time is for that. But you really don't have a lot of time to be very creative with this. 
No, no, you really don't. And you've got to knock it out and have it done. Yes. So, yes, to be under that that kind of time constraint and for them to still end up being as creative as they were is absolutely amazing. And it, my hat goes off to every single one of them. Yeah, phenomenal job. For all the hard work that they've done to make this show as special as it is. Yes. Now, speaking of special, and maybe not in a good way. (laughs) Now. (laughs) uh, Katrina Crane um, was created as someone who would remain firmly in the past. And we see that in her uh, clothing during the show for time that she was on. Uh, Interesting tidbit was she was made a redhead because redheads were considered to be witches at that time. I'm glad my hair is brown, and I'm glad I didn't live at that time. And she always was out of reach to Ichabod. And you know, that's really interesting, because let's face it, we know that there was a great part of the fandom that didn't really care for Katrina. One, because she kept switching sides, um, that she didn't appear to be as strong or doing as many witch trips tricks as they would have expected you know right. not, not as much spell casting and besides everyone was well everyone i can't say everyone besides a lot of people were quote-unquote shipping abby and <laughs> crane right exactly so the fact that they actually wrote in this book that she was always supposed to be out of reach and that was literally in quotes that was verbatim in the book makes me wonder if perhaps all along the writers had decided that she was never going to be his match. They were keeping her firmly in the past. They were putting Ichabod, they were moving him from the past to the present, but she mm-hmm. was staying back there. Right. And and it, you really saw that. You did. And so it makes you think that perhaps that was the design the entire time, no I, matter no matter how much it upset the fandom. But she yeah, she really was is. a fantastic. She really was a great actress in the role. I thought. Oh yeah, I, 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 loved I think her she. In the role. Yes, she was. I thought she was very good. Yes, and yes, as soon as they were able to bring her out of purgatory, you almost knew immediately that this was one couple that just were not in step with each other anymore. Star crossed. Yes, and they were not going to make it. No. <laughs> now we do get some. Uh, a few really great pictures of our boy John Noble as Henry Parrish. Yes. Always nice to see John Noble. Absolutely. And we do get to see the one man that Crane loves to hate, and that's Ben Franklin. <laughs> you know, and it's interesting because if we go back and we look over the two seasons, they introduced other historical characters as well. but. um Benjamin Franklin is the only one that made it into this book. And I was delighted to see him there. And I was delighted with the comments and the drawings that they had for him as well. Because we had spoken um, in our early episodes about the fact that Tom Meissen was a real history buff and he was a stickler for getting that detail right, and that he would often go back to the writers if he discovered something and he would let them know about the historical accuracies or inaccuracies or or how to make it a little bit better. Right. And so apparently he told Mark Goffman, who was the season one and season two executive producer, about Ben Franklin and about the air bath that 
apparently Ben Franklin really used to take air baths as kind of a joke, you know. <laughs> so they got to thinking about it, apparently, and, and this is all in the book. So that's why you've got to get the book for these great stories. But right. apparently, it, they, after discussing it as a joke, the more they thought about it, the more they liked it. And then we got to see the presumably naked Ben Franklin meeting with Crane taking an air bath. And that had to be one of the funniest scenes in the show. Yes. And what a way to get introduced to Ben Franklin. I, I know. <laughs> Let's, and you're thinking, that can't possibly be true. But then to yeah. read it in the book and to know how Tom Meissen is about looking up his factual details on history, you're thinking, oh my gosh, he really did do this. Yes. The guy who's gracing some money in my wallet actually was out there taking it air baths oh my goodness gracious like okay oh, that's probably too much it's a sight i'll never unsee now yes <laughs> but anyway um so if you are interested in learning more about ben franklin i had shared a link um to a podcast on our witness prophecies facebook page on december 30th that not everyone may have seen so i'm going to include the link to that podcast in the blog uh, for this show And the podcast is entitled Ben Franklin's World, a podcast about early American history. So maybe you can learn a a few more interesting things about Ben Franklin that maybe you didn't want to know. But but anyway, I just, when I read that in the book, I have to tell you, I sat there and laughed so hard I had tears coming down my, my face. I thought that was hysterical. And that was really great to see. Uh, They didn't forget... Andy Brooks, as he uh, moved from good cop to possessed dead slave of Moloch, and his head sort of fell backwards off his neck. <laughs> he was referred to on the set as Pez Head. Uh, can you imagine Pez Head? You flick, because you get a little Pez container, right? And you flick the little head back so you can get your little gum thing out. But it, that's it. That's a perfect analogy, Pez Head. Yes. <laughs> And the book contains several interesting illustrations showing how this was accomplished by the master monster maker, Corey Castellano. Was there anybody? Unfortunately, both Joe Corbin and Nick Holly were not included in the book. Well, Joe only had one episode right. during those His two seasons. His creature is in the book, though, so. Oh, that's true. And Holly, I'm surprised we didn't have a little bit more Holly in there. But it would have it made listen, it would have made the girls happy. Some of them. Some of them anyway. Some of them. Some of them anyway. But we did get just what we got was so meaty. It it really was great. Okay, so we'll talk a little bit now about the demons and the monsters, and there's so many of them in this book that we really cannot cover all of them. Otherwise we'll be talking all night. Yes, this would be a three hour podcast. Or longer. Yes, could be longer because they list quite a few of them in here. So hopefully you're going to be so interested about a couple that we talk about and you'll want to see all the monsters and see what they have to say that they'll go buy the book. Yes. Where could they get it, Use the Amazon links on the Golden Spiral Media webpage to buy their books. Because I'm going to guess a lot of our fans already have this book, Steve, but if they don't, they can buy it just as you suggested. Absolutely. Okay, so the first one we're going to talk about, and this should really be no surprise, and that's Headless, because it was Headless. He was the monster that the the creators started with. 
You know, he was the first one that they drew. It all began with him. So they made him headless, on a horse, in a Hessian uniform, with a machine gun. With a machine gun. <laughs> Rat-a-tat-tat. I don't think that was standard issue during the 1770s, but hey, they have a great illustration in the book about how this character was supposed to look, you know, exactly like that. And I've got to tell you, it's fantastic. Yes, it really is. They made him cool. Quite a drawing to feast upon. Absolutely. Now, of course, the big bad in seasons one and two was naturally Moloch. And Moloch went through several iterations, including being reborn through Katrina. Because if you stop and think about how we saw Moloch, we saw him as the first monster. Then we saw him basically as a baby. He became a teenager, and then he kind of got reinvented again. And it was quite interesting to see how the drawings and sketches that they had evolved into what we saw on the screen. Yes, and they... And they kept changing him. They said that in the book that he this was one that they just kept changing and modifying the whole time. And they probably didn't get him exactly the way they wanted him until just before they killed him off. And that's okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Another favorite of ours, at least of oh, mine. Yes. Oh, mine too. Oh, <laughs> uh, the golem. Because if you recall now, this was Jeremy Crane's doll and it was his protector. And what they wanted was something that was very disturbing and very creepy, but that it also had heart. Because remember, this was a small child's doll while he was being buried alive, which is just a horrifying thought. And what they have in the book is this very creepy close-up picture of the golem's face. Full page. Yes, and it is amazing. And he didn't look like he had heart in that picture to me. No. <laughs> he just looked you creepy. You would definitely be scared to death but if you ran into that in a dark uh, alley one night. I'd be scared to death if I ran into him at daylight. What are you talking about? <laughs> but that was a great one. Another fantastic one, I thought, was the Gorgon. Because oh, yes. it had that snake-like hair. And now the book has pictures of some of the early sculpts that they did for this character for both the head and the body. And in those pictures of the head, you can really see the tremendous detail that went into this as they were mimicking the snake-like look of, well, all I can call them is they look like snake dreads, is what I'll call them. Right. And as the hair. But you can see all the detail, all the crisscross, you know, that, that would emulate scales on a snake. It's just fantastic. Yes, it really was. And again, you know, there were so many wonderful monsters and demons in, in the book from seasons one and two. Yeah, we, one we, of my favorites, of course, was the Kindred. Oh, yes. That was abs- another just absolutely fascinating uh, seeing what they, how they start, you know, what their sketches look like versus what we actually got to see. And again, when you consider how they, how quickly they had to do this in such a compressed period of time and... At DragonCon, Corey Castellano talked about that and talked about the making of some of their monsters and the enormous pressure that they would be under to get it finished. And looking at this book really gave me an appreciation for even, for what I'm sure is just the tip of the of the iceberg of the amount of work that had to go into that. Oh yeah, because on the Kindred's costume, 
It was quite a simple uniform, but I did the custom embroidery for it. And that was from Kristen M. Burke, the series costume designer. You know, one thing I haven't looked up that I probably should is, I don't know if they've won any awards for all the costume and design over the years or not. I'm not sure. Yeah, I don't know either, but you would think they'd have to. They should have, and if they haven't, it's absolutely a crime. Yes. <laughs> so before we before we come back with the next episode, which will, of course, be the winter premiere, I'm going to go online and try and look and see if I can find anything there, if they've been awarded anything for that, because I'll tell you, phenomenal, phenomenal job. Yes, and it's even more amazing to see the sketches and see how close the actual monster turns out to be. And like you said, all the hard work that it took to be able to get those done and fabricated and on screen in the amount of time that they've been given to do it is just unbelievable. Yes. Well, I think that's about all I have to talk about this wonderful book. And I, I, Again, I cannot say enough about the authors and the work that they did, that they put into this book for us and for the cooperation that they got from all the folks at Sleepy Hollow to make this book a reality. Yes, because they got some very detailed information from almost everybody that was involved in in the first two seasons. So that, that was... Great work by Tara and Paul once again. Yeah, they, and very grateful. Thank, thank them. I thank them both for their work on this book, and I'm, it, I'm very pleased to have this as part of my permanent library. Yes, me too. Well, we would love to hear your thoughts about this wonderful book or anything else as you look forward to the winter premiere of Sleepy Hollow. Hopefully, you've been joining some of the uh, sleepyheads during this hiatus doing the rewatch and shout out to Christine for putting that together for everybody and for Fox promoting it. We really appreciate that. So please send us your feedback and any theories. We want to welcome our new followers on Twitter as well as Facebook. And thank you all for your retweets, favorites and interaction. And we do have a shout out. We want to do a shout out for Dana Smooth for her iTunes review on November 30th, 2015. Uh, She had been one of the first to give us a review, and she came back and gave us another review. And we thank you so much for that, Dana. Yeah, we really appreciate all of you who are following this podcast. Yes. And if you want to get in touch with us, there are a few ways you can do that. And we would absolutely love to hear from you. We really want to hear what you think about the show about the book, any of your theories, ideas, your prophecies. So please give us a call. Our voicemail number is 304-837-2278, or you can go to goldenspiralmedia.com slash feedback, where you can use the speak pipe widget on the side of the page to record audio, or you can type out your feedback on the form, or you can also attach an audio feedback file. Now, we don't really have a feedback deadline right now. No. We'll have, we'll have a new feedback deadline uh, when the season starts again on February the 5th. So if yes. you've got any feedback you want to send in, please feel free and we'll include it in the, the 
feedback from that first episode back from our winter hiatus. Anyway, you can uh, join our Facebook group, Witness Prophecies. We'd love to have you there. Um, you can find us at, at @witnessprofgsm on Twitter. Steve is at Salyer Steve, and I'm at Tanger14. And again, we would just absolutely love to hear from you. Yes, we would. We love interacting with our fans, especially the sleepyheads. Absolutely. All right. So we do have some information in our visions of the future section. So if you don't want to be spoiled on anything. Run as if Moloch is after you. <laughs> or the or the or headless. Oh my goodness. Headless. He's scarier too. They're both scary. Run as if yes. headless is behind you. you <laughs> turn on the uh, Roadrunner wheels. All right. Sleepy Hollow will return with the winter premiere on February 5th. And we have the name of the new episode entitled One Life. Ichabod and Jenny deal with the aftermath of Abby's disappearance. Following Abby's huge sacrifice, Crane and Jenny find themselves at a loss. In an effort to save Abby, Crane forms an unlikely partnership, and Jenny confronts a former foe. Okay, Mm -hmm. so that's interesting. If Crane is going to form an unlikely partnership, you want to make a guess at who that might be? Ah, wonder if it might be Sophie. Yeah, Sparks (laughs) Flying Sophie. That's what I'm thinking, too, and the shippers will go nuts. Yes. Sorry, guys, but that's what I'm thinking is going to happen because that's the only unlikely partnership that I can think of. Well, okay, now there's another one. He could he could partner up with Lance Gross, right? Yes. Two men going after the women that they have feelings for that one is acknowledging and the other one is not. Is not. Although, again, oh, I not I wasn't going to do this. Okay, but again, <laughs> we're not sure about Lance, right? And I really right. want to not like Lance. Yes. <laughs> So it looks like either way, it's your darned if you do and darned if you don't. Lance or Sophie, either one of them is going to make somebody unhappy. Right. But at the same time, if it is either one of them, how is, well, I guess they could, Crane could just say she disappeared. And so they're going to try to investigate it as a missing person case. Well, Sophie, though. Okay, so stop it. Stop a minute here, because Sophie knows. Okay, so Sophie knows about Pandora, right? Because she was with, um, oh, what's his Mevins. name? Thank you, who blew up or yeah. evaporated. He turned into liquid blood, whatever. So I think she knows a little bit. Yeah, that is possible, but. Okay, so here's a worse twist. What if he partners with either the Hidden One or Pandora? Because Ooh. they need her to come back mm-hmm. so that they get their full powers okay. back. Now, that would truly be a deal made with the devil, more or less. Yeah, exactly. So I guess, Mm -hmm. I don't know. We could flip a coin. I don't know if it could be Sophie or if it would be, or if it would be Danny. I'm still thinking Sophie. Uh, I'm thinking Sophie. I'm thinking Sophie, too, but Danny is choice number two. Right. Okay. Now, a former foe for Jenny. Mm-hmm. Not sure who that one could be. Could it because we we met the guy from earlier in the season that was uh, not a, really a foe, but a competitor. She confronts a former foe. Yeah, mm. an enemy to her. Okay, right. a former foe. Well, 
Pandora and the hidden one are current foes as far as I'm concerned, so I'm not sure who a former foe would be. Yeah, me either. That has that me a bit got me scratching my head. Yeah, yeah me too. <laughs> Although in a in a way, I guess Sophie was a former foe, and now they're quote unquote on the same side. But if that's going to be the case, then that puts then that probably puts Crane with Danny. Oh, I don't know. I don't yeah. have the foggiest <laughs> idea. All right. You would think that it, if Crane was going to team up with somebody, it'd be Joe Corbin, but they didn't make it sound that way. No, not at all. Yeah, an unlikely partnership. Teaming yeah. up with Joe would be likely. Well, we have, let's see, as of this date, we have what? Two? No, we have three weeks. Just sh- We're shy of three weeks while we're recording right. this. Yes, we've just got three weeks while we're recording this. So by the time it comes out, it's only two and a half weeks. Yes. Okay. All right. Now, our the great people over at TV Line provided this information. And I posted this article on our web Facebook page, warning about the spoilers. So you've been waiting months to find out if Abby is truly gone. And thanks to a time jump in the supernatural drama, so has Ichabod. Ooh, I wonder how long it will be. Yes. We wanted the mid-season finale to resonate, not just with the audience, but with our characters in somewhat of real time. So we were all on pins and needles together, says showrunner Clifton Campbell. In Abby's absence, Jenny and Joe become much, much closer, the EP adds. And Pandora and the Hidden One try to get back on track after Ab's disappearing act. It throws a very big wrench in their plans, Campbell says. We know, we know. You're dying to find out if Agent Mills will be back with her fellow witnesses any time in the near future. Of course, Campbell wouldn't confirm or deny, saying only, Things change dramatically once you take one of the key components out of the dynamic between Crane and Abby. Duh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of questions and a lot of need and desire comes to the surface, and it comes together in a very nice way. So I think there are a couple hints in here. One yeah. is that he said, they wanted to the mid-season finale to resonate, not just with the audience, but with our characters in somewhat of real time. So that tells me that they're going to make this an approximately three-month time jump. Okay. Not that, that would be my guess. Nine months or however long it was between the end of season two and the beginning of season three. Right. So I'm thinking it's going to be about three months, and that would be devastating. I mean, at that point in time, you think someone is gone, that they're gone. They could be lost. Right. And I think that would also help in creating a partnership with Crane and someone else, because then the truth would come out as crazy as it would sound. At some point in time, there's going to be some bit of belief. It gives the characters time for the skepticism to sort of fall away. Right. And I, so I think that's probably, I think that three months would probably be a pretty good estimate then. I think you're probably pretty close there, Barb. Now, the other thing that's interesting here is they're saying that, you know, Pandora and the Hidden One are trying to get back on track and that this is throwing a big, a very big wrench in their plans. Well, they needed that power. If we recall correctly, they needed the power that Abby took with her to wherever she went. And right. I, I still, you know, I know we were talking, speculating about this in November, but I, I kind of think that 
she's gone back to a different period of time, that she's time-traveled perhaps back to when the Hidden One was entombed, you know, before he was brought back by Pandora, would be my guess. But they need the power that she's got for them to rule the Earth or to restore it or to do whatever that they want to do. So they're going to be very interested in finding her also, which is why we could have some strange bedfellows as allies at some point. Right. But I think that that, this is going to lead to an extremely interesting spring season. Sure sounds like that is a a distinct possibility. Yes. And which will be much appreciated after the second half of season two. Yes. (laughs) We're not bitter. I'm not. No, I, I, I don't. Oh. <laughs> just, some of our sleepy heads. Yes, <clears throat> I know. But this has Church. been a great this has been a great season. And you know, and the fact again that Fox has been promoting the rewatch, uh, they're not saying negative things or even they haven't even quote unquote gone silent, if you will. Right. Which I, is what a lot of the sleepy heads had complained about before the season started was promotion. Yes. Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? Well, at the TCAs, Sleepy Hollow was on the Fox Sizzle Reel. So mm-hmm. that's, that's, you that's know, they good. weren't there at the, at the TCAs, but they weren't completely left out either. Yeah, and at least they have a start date, <clears throat> unlike one other show that I watched this season that has no yes. start date on its particular channel yet. Ah, uh, well, it's going to be a very short period of time, and soon we'll be back on every week talking to our sleepyheads. Yes, we're almost there. Yes, indeed. <laughs> All I think, right. I think that's going to about wrap it up here, don't you, Steve? Absolutely. Please review and rate us on iTunes with good ratings and reviews. It helps other fans of the show find us, as there are other Sleepy Hollow podcasts out there. To subscribe in iTunes to any GSM podcast, go to goldenspiralmedia.com slash iTunes. Tell your friends and hope you're enjoying our podcast. And Sleepyheads, if you don't yet own your own copy of Sleepy Hollow, Creating Heroes, Demons, and Monsters by Tara Bennett and Paul Terry, you can order it on Amazon by using the Golden Spiral Media link. That's awesome. And I I hope everyone's enjoyed this special episode. Uh, I know that I've certainly enjoyed it. It's been fun talking to you again here, Steve. It's been too long of a break. Yes, it has. I have missed our conversations about Sleepy Hollow immensely. All right. Well, this is Steve, and it's still not February 5th yet. (laughs) But you know what? It's about another hour closer than it was when we started this. Exactly. And this is Barb signing out and reminding you, don't lose your head. See you in February, sleepyheads.